0: Hey there, Next real listeners, this is Andy. Before we dive into this episode, I wanted to let you know about an exciting change. As you may have noticed, we have been including episodes of one of our other shows, Movies We Like, in this feed. Well, we are thrilled to announce that Movies We Like has grown so much that it's now ready to strike out on its own. From now on, to catch the latest episodes of Movies We Like, you'll want to head over to its dedicated feed and hit that subscribe button. We've got plenty of other great content lined up, and we don't want you to miss a thing. Don't worry, though, the next Real Film Podcast isn't going anywhere. We'll still be bringing you the same in-depth discussions and analysis of your favorite films right here in this feed. So if you love what we do with Movies We Like, be sure to search for it in your favorite podcast app and subscribe today. Thanks for being a part of our podcast journey, and now let's get back to the show. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations, so visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of
1: the Next Reel community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way.
0: Welcome to the Next Reel's Movies We Like, part of the True Story FM Entertainment Network. I'm Andy Nelson, and that over there is Pete Wright. Ah, I'm Pete Wright. On today's episode, we have invited filmmaker Uwe Boll to talk about a story about oil, blood, and milkshakes. It's There Will Be Blood, a movie that he likes.
1: (coughs) 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 Ladies
2: and gentlemen, I've traveled over half our state to be here tonight. I couldn't get away sooner because my new well was coming in at Coyote Hills and I had to see about it. Ladies and gentlemen, if I say I'm an oil man, you will agree. I'm a family man. I run a family business. This is my son and my partner, H.W. Plainview. You boys are a regular family business. Now you have a great chance
1: here. My son is a healer and a vessel for the Holy Spirit. He has a church.
2: You will be cast up the rest back to partition. I'm fixed like no other company in this field. I have a string of tools ready to put to work. That's why I can guarantee to start drilling and to put up the cash to back my word. I assure you, ladies and gentlemen, no matter what the others promise to do, when it comes to the showdown, they won't be there.
1: There's a whole ocean of
2: oil under our feet. No one can get at it except for me.
1: We'll offer one hundred and fifty thousand for full title. When do we get our money, Daniel? <laughs> I look at people and I see nothing worth liking.
2: Don't bully me, Daniel, please! I see the worst in people. We have a sinner with us. Get out of here, devil! I have a competition in me. I want no one else to succeed. I can't keep doing this on my own. These um, people.
0: <laughs> Welcome to the show, Uve. Hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot believe I cannot believe I'm
1: staring at your face right now and I'm giddy with excitement here this is fantastic good
0: sure. perfect we're we are thrilled to have you here we're thrilled to be talking with you uh and thrilled particularly about this movie that you picked which is a fantastic fantastic film to have a conversation about for sure uh before we start talking about uh, there will be blood though let's talk a little bit about you and your and your filmmaking career i know it's uh, you've had uh i think it's fair to say uh ups and downs and some uh some criticisms and everything but i i think that I don't know, having looked at some of the films that you've made, I think that there's a lot more to uh, what you're wanting to say and trying to say with some of your films than uh, people always give you credit for. People uh, overlooked that they did 35 films. <laughs> in Right. <my> case. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and uh, there was a, a basically a, a phase of video game-based films like House of the Dead and then Alone in the Dark and so on. And that, in a way, tainted the other films. You know, it was this kind of like nobody discussed Darfur or Southern Wall Street and whatever. And uh, but over time, people watched that films. I I recognized more and more that people like changing a little the opinion about me after a while. And uh, films like Rampage and Postal, they went a little like uh, into a cult movie. Uh, situation over the years because they had a good word of mouth, you know, and people said, "No, you have to watch that film; that is actually really good." And I think that so that helps in a way now uh, the situation. But it was it was not easy. But it was funny when when last week was, I think, the Hollywood Reporter like video games are the new comic books.
1: Yeah, I I wondered if you uh, if you knew that. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you know Mario Brothers invented that, man? I, I don't know what you're doing.
2: <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> uh, out of the blue, video games are... Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm right. shocked. I'm shocked. <laughs> Can I... I want to ask you about this, about cult film status, because looking at your, at, at, at your filmography, I mean, as you say, 35 films, but of those films, you have, uh, uh, strong audiences around uh, many of them, people who feel very strongly about these movies, and, and we'll call them cult movies. How does that make you feel as a filmmaker that that you have these movies that move out of uh, sort of popular fandom and into cult status? Does that does that change the way you look at the films that you've made? No, I
2: mean, I uh, the, the films they turned into, let's say, not some cult movies, of, but uh, got some credits later were also the films i liked more you know but it was uh i came out of the film heart of america about school violence uh into house of the dead and that was like a a, a total jump but when you make a film like heart of america and had elizabeth moss in it for example who turned into a big star later yeah uh, you know and uh, and you make no money you know, so and and uh it was a disaster, financial disaster. And then you do House of the Dead and uh everybody hates you, but at the same time they sell like five million DVDs. That is a different situation And that was one of the reasons I started making more films about with video games, because uh I'm not like an art house filmmaker who who gets subsidies and whatsoever. So I had to see for what is is money in the market? Like, what can I get financed? And so I don't I don't want to also miss that films because these films also made it possible that I could do Rampage later and and so on. You know, so I had like uh, uh, worldwide sales. People were buying my films, and then you can sell them also something smaller. You can say, look, but it's an overball film, even if no big stars are in it. And uh that that of course uh, helped my career. I think what the the thing what I was disappointed on in a way, uh is that the normal uh newspaper uh movie critics, I, I had the feeling they never watched my films. I think they kind of wrote the same review, whatever film I did. And uh when I won that, that Raspberry. I wanted for Postal what I think is a total joke, because if they would actually watch Postal, they would maybe saw that 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 is one of the, uh, first of all, I think one of my best films, but also um, it has an unbelievable satire uh, background. What now 15 years later is not really aged. I think Postal you can watch today and everybody would say that it's the most politically incorrect thing I saw in the last 10 years, if you just air it today. And I think that that is uh, needed. Actually, films like Postal would be needed now, too. I think if, if I would try to do uh, to do Postal now, all that actors would not play in it. Nobody, they would, would, say like Nobody would say anything. Nobody would say, yes. say, well, you cannot do this. You will get canceled for the rest of your life.
1: I actually wonder if, if you would get the actors that were in it. Would you get Foley? Would you get Vern Troyer? Would you get those? Could you get those people to be in that movie today? No, I don't think so. I think like J.K. Simmons or whatever, they would all tell them, you cannot do this.
2: Yeah. You know, like stuff like this. They were, uh, But at that time, they loved it. They loved to be in that film and they went all out. Like they, they totally didn't care about any uh, consequences. So it was kind of a more... Uh, like a freedom what what people had and what artists could do and you know it when you listen to the, the uwe boron raw talk uh, uh, like you know like in the podcast i'm not willing to obey or something right so it's it's i think that the freedom of speech also the freedom of art and especially satire uh, has to be allowed, and it has to be insulting for some people, otherwise it's not funny. I mean, if you want to make it right to everybody, you're not funny at all so it's uh, it's basically the when you see the genres now what we have where is another naked gun? Where is it? Another, something's wrong about Mary. Whatever, all that comedy's hangover. I think would never get shoot, uh, done again. So, and I think it's it's horrible that comedy now is the is the subject or the genre. What is hit the hardest with this political landscape uh, we are living in now for uh, the last few years.
0: Well, and I think that's an interesting point and 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 you know using postal as a as a jumping point because postal is i mean it it's a very funny film and it's very dark in kind of the the satire that it's playing um but I think you look at something like that which also i mean came in line with video game adaptations that you were doing, but then you look at what you did in Rampage, which is a pretty dark movie following you know the the shooter as he's kind of going through town and and just killing people, but then you have a scene where he walks into the uh, the bingo palace, and he's just looking around at everybody is like these people clearly don't need my help, and walks <laughs> out. I mean it's just like it was so dark, but I was like I was laughing out loud at something like that. I'm like I shouldn't be laughing at this. This is horrible, but wow. I mean there's something to be said when you inject that kind of humor into a moment like that and in a film like that. So I think that. I think you're right. they yeah. it's it's challenging people. And I think that's sometimes people just don't like to be challenged.
1: Well and that's why I mean comedy comes from discomfort, right? If we're not if we if we aren't able to poke at our own discomfort, then if, if we exacerbate discomfort from the equation, there is there's nothing left to be funny. Yes. We have to we have to be able to to seek out discomfort to be able to laugh.
2: Yeah, and to be surprised for yourself, right? If you yeah. can guess every joke what's coming it's not funny. I mean, that you start bursting, start laughing about things when you when you have the feeling, wow, that guy goes for it or whatever, right? So, I was when I I shot a film in in New York uh, uh, recently, right? First shift, like it as so, in a way a little like my comeback film, a police film. So, and I went in the comedy club in New York City and and listened to the to the ups, and I was I have to say shocked how political correct they tried to make the show right how they try to basically not to offend everybody and i was bored shitless i was sitting there like what is this you know like people making jokes about what what juice you drink and it's just like weak you know it was for me it was weak and i want to go like getting challenged if i sit in a comedy club and i remember in old days uh, where i was more in la i went to the comedy stores there a lot and they were like full-on insulting everybody and also the audience you know, like what you're doing, or you're fat fuck, whatever, like stuff like this. But that is why I want to be in a live audience at a comedy store. You know, it's, it's this kind of, it's a different thing as a film. But both need to get you off your comfort zone. And then I, I feel good. But now we're living in a world where everybody's offended. When you say, I don't like your pullover, the whole world breaks apart. And uh, you cannot do this. I'm doing suicide now. So that is ridiculous. I mean, look, behind you, the Dr. Strangelove poster, <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, one of the, the biggest satires, the most famous satires uh, in the history, you know, and I think that it's, it's very important uh, to not, like, uh, omit that genre, and that is right now happening. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. It's, it's very, it's a, it gives a very bad uh, feeling about it. No, yeah, but... Uh, it is what it is. You know, we, we have it to. Is, yeah. And I feel that sometimes, uh, the media is blowing things up totally out of proportions and helping them, you know, they help the Twitter mob to succeed basically, right? In can't in a person or whatever, because then they report about it in the real newspapers
0: and stuff. And then, uh, people getting like, uh, losing everything they have. It's interesting, and I think you have found a way to kind of keep pushing and and doing things with your films that certainly is intriguing, and it makes for very interesting watches. So, But I want to use this point. I want to shift over to uh, start talking about uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's 2007 film, There Will Be Blood, uh, the film that you picked, something that uh, you are a big fan of. And I want to start our conversation uh, just thinking about some of the the stories that you tell and, and, you know, just what we've been talking about, kind of going to these dark places. And I think this film has such an interesting story that we're following this really dark, really unlikable, very greedy protagonist. And I, I think that let's start with Daniel Plainview and just kind of talk a little bit about, you know, having a complex protagonist like this. Yeah, I mean,
2: for, for, for me, when I when I watched the film... Um, it was like i had no clue first what it what it is and and then clark my uh the producer i worked with on a lot of films he was in new york at a screening with daniel de lewis and paul thomas anderson and uh where they did uh, like question and answers when it went a preview or whatever and he said no you have to watch that film over and then when it came i i watched it right away and i felt like this is a film why i want to make movies like that was this kind of uh but I don't have a lot, you know, like, like uh, uh, there's a reason also, like, when I when they ask me, you know, what film I want to talk about, um, I could say Jaws, whatever, like, there are some films, the Apocalypse Now, there are, like, in my past where I feel like uh, they, these are these kind of uh, movies I love, and I, uh, uh, and they made their stamp on me, basically. But when I watched that film for years, I didn't got that impact, what I got on this pill. It was really like um, the consequence with with Daniel Day-Lewis' uh, character, you know, that he didn't even try to, to be like a likable person. I mean, the ultimate betrayal on that kid, yeah. you know, to use the handicapped kid to gain power and money Uh, That was, of course, the most ridiculous uh, uh, twist also, you know, and how he then offloads him into the uh, garbage, basically, you know, Uh, uh, that was, but that made me feel like what I felt with, for example, The Shining or, uh, you know, where you get so surprised and blown away where you feel like, fuck, fuck. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so, so that, it, this this was the feeling what I didn't have for a long time when 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 I watched that film, and uh, it was a, a um, or or Citizen Kane too, What is it another very big Anti-hero story? Sure, but in a way, in Citizen Kane, I feel that he was more, in a way, more likable because he was more a victim
0: as Daniel Day Lewis was in in There Will Be Blood. Right. You see his fall. Like we see where he starts. He's likable at the beginning, but then we see over time that Kane yes. kind of slowly goes downhill. Whereas, yeah, Daniel Plainview, uh, other, you pretty much get a sense from the start that this guy is here for money and doesn't like people. Yes. Do <laughs> you know what? Controversial opinion. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I like Daniel Plainview. I like Daniel Plainview
1: a lot. And I think one of the bi- bits of brilliance about this movie is Daniel Plainview, as unlikable as he is, is to me, at least likable, enough that he is misunderstood in a world that is brand new, right? Like, he is doing stuff that nobody understands how to do right now, except for the giant, giant companies. And he's working incredibly hard at it, right? This is a story about what price success. And uh, there is something about the way this movie starts, with him breaking his leg, falling down in a well that demonstrates how hot, and hard and incredibly painful, his success ends up being. And I don't like a lot of the stuff that he does, but there's something about Daniel Plainview's work ethic that is kind of appealing to me. I, I, I don't hate him.
2: No, no, you're right. That he's not like, he's not like trying to steal it in a way. Even if he steals. (laughs) Even if he's trying to steal. He's drinking a lot of milk. But it's it's, it's kind of like, yes, he's a hardworking guy. And he he puts everything into uh, his uh, success. And and, uh, this kind of like entrepreneur at the times where you could just claim you're staking something. You know, you just went out there in the prairie, and that is now my land. A little what we have now in that TV show Yellowstone in a way, right, in a totally different uh, kind of surrounding, but similar. You know, the old days where the land, you could just conquer and declare it yourself and that, that is my my land now. And if you had a gun, people had to take it away from you with violence if they wanted it. So that that 100%, I agree that... He works hard. But in the very end, I think it's uh, there is a I don't know even who said it, Schopenhauer, some big philosophy said like it's basically greed what tribes what, what drives history. And I have to say, like, you know, getting older myself and reading more and stuff like this, it's that it's the truth. When you when you watch if you watch the Ukraine war or Taiwan coming up, all that shit, it's all greed it's like uh, and it's individual people or dictators or whatsoever that moved the history more as anything else more as love definitely you know and compassion or empathy that didn't that are all things we all want that people are like this but when you go through history it was always basically similar to there will be blood yes and uh, and and people got left out and and left like dumped into no man's land and they could die and starve to death. In at times also, people starved to death still, you know, so they didn't, you saw that in the restaurant scenes and there would be blood, right? So where like a steak was a big thing to eat a, to eat a steak and stuff like this. And uh, that, that was also, I think, uh, um, just correctly told, you know, that, that you had the feeling that was the surrounding people actually lived at that time. And you were basically a workhorse. You worked till you're dead. And that was a you know. But of course, the film would be not so good if Paul Dano would be not in it. Oh, no. Uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. No, and that was also, I think I think it was the first time I saw that actor. It
0: was like the church scene. It was just unbelievable you know and when he had to Wh- which one the first one when he's helping the lady or the later one when he's uh, brings daniel the
2: later one uh, i mean the first one was great too but but i mean
0: when he basically
2: wants to overpower daniel DeLewis in a way and, and on his him. own turf yeah and you know like when you see that scene later you know he's dead like he <laughs> yeah back, pretty much he will <laughs> come back to him and uh-huh. for this he will die you know that is saying what uh, you know, and then his whole the with, scene with his brother, uh, uh, you know, killing his fake brother or whatsoever. But there, I'm 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 right with Pete. There, the situation with the brother was almost that the guy deserved to
0: die. That's kind of the setup, right? It's a really interesting way that that plays because I mean he essentially is this criminal. I mean he, had, you know, admits that he had been in prison and all of this sort of stuff. But he, as we learn, he faked this whole thing. You know, your brother died of tuberculosis. I didn't kill him, but he really did die. But yes, I did steal his story. And this is this person who has infiltrated his way into Daniel's life uh, to kind of you know become a a partner or in. Some, I mean, I don't know what his intentions were to like really become a partner or. I mean, Daniel really kind of welcomes him in as uh, family blood and everything, but uh, it, it is—it's definitely a dark turn that that we see with Daniel take. But I mean, yeah, there is an interesting element. There is an a—you can read it where Daniel. There's some justification for being upset at the way that this person did that. But again, the lens of
1: time, right? The at this time, as you say, that there is the problems are solved with violence. I think all of these character sort of avatars can be applied to uh, and and this is one of the bits of genius about paul thomas anderson is just being able to write a script that you can you can take these characters like daniel plainview and henry beautifully cast with like played by uh, kevin o'connor who kind of looks like daniel day lewis a little bit you know works for the family thing. And actually, like how many Daniel Plainviews do you feel like we have on Wall Street right now? Like those stories <laughs> are played out with just different tools every day. And and that is uh that's that's one of the things that I think is is really just so perfect about their relationship. That betrayal ends in violence. Uh his his adopted son lights their cabin on fire. What is that cabin on fire a metaphor for today? It plays out all the time those sorts of betrayal we're watching the same thing on succession every week right like it's, it's succession <laughs> is there will be blood right now
2: <laughs> yeah it's it's funnier Is there will be blood right uh, yeah right. It, right. It, it, in, in a way you know so and and more in a way more enjoyable more commercial but i think also when paul dano is coming in the end there uh, And, uh, it's all about the money, right? Even in the church and he acts the whole time. He's like serving God or whatever. It's all bullshit. It's like in the very end, it's all about the money. Right. And then the ultimate victory that he doesn't want need the land anymore because he sucked, sucked the oil out of, (laughs) out of the (laughs) uh, under, uh, underground, basically, you know, and it was just, uh, how he kills him with the, on the bowling alley. No, I was really like, I didn't have a lot of films, you know, where you you get a like like uh, goosebumps in a way, yeah, you know. So and I got that in that film various times, where where you where you get really surprised about also how it turns and where you you didn't saw it coming this way, and that is not a lot of times, uh, I think, happening when you watch films. Right. So in a, in a positive way, you know, I just watched here, everything, everything, whatever, all at once. And I I have to say it's for me, a guy wrote, it's like a 130 minutes TikTok video. And that was actually my feeling too. You know, I never got emotionally connected to that film. It's, it's uh, interesting done. It's like, it has a lot of uh, crazy scenes and uh, uh, a lot of, let's say, intercutting with animation and all kinds of going to different dimensions, but it's not a film what got me emotional. And There the Will Be Blood is the opposite. It got me completely sucked in and where you feel like, wow. You know, I liked at that point, Paul Thomas Anderson, that was before he made a few bad films, basically, you know, so The Master and so on. So that he did some films after up to now, the licorice pizza. What I really liked, uh, uh, you know, I, I mean, it's not like there will be blood quality, but but it's good. it's a good film. I enjoyed to watch it. It was a feel good movie, and it was uh, it's like crazy uh, uh, with Bradley Cooper was was a great side story. so great, yeah. <laughs> so I really liked it. it. Was I was happy that I liked it again because Paul Thomas Anderson was uh With Boogie Nights you know, so, you know, he was one of my favorite directors He came out of nowhere in a way And I had an, a feeling about him How I had it with Quentin Tarantino After I watched, like, Reservoir Dogs And, you know, like, I felt like, wow That guy is great Like, uh, I love that film and Pulp Fiction You know, and, and that is the thing It's like, and I think that Will Be Blood Was the best film he he did and it had nothing to do with his personal life what is interesting because he said he likes films about his personal living in the valley and growing up like this and that was the film that was maybe the farthest away from Paul Thomas Anderson's
0: personal life but it, it's ultimately his his uh, masterpiece and really the first time he's adapted anything too, you know, pulling uh, adapted were you know loosely in quotes. I mean it's in the film uh, you know adapted from oil by Upton Sinclair but when you look at the synopsis of that <laughs> compared to this uh, you know it's pretty different. Yes. It's like still. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: And I mean the sound in the film was also uh the music and the sound was was just unbelievable uh the concept You have, like, it's tough to get that concept, right? So, but, but, uh, when it turned
0: into action, uh, who did that music again? That was a famous, yeah, Johnny Greenwood did the music for it. Yeah. And I mean, you have some of those moments where it's like that, especially like at the beginning, it's that real slow, like that discordant build of just a a bunch of notes just kind of finding themselves. And, and that plays a number of times throughout the films. And it, I, I think it fits perfectly for the tone of, what they're doing with this story, which is, uh, yeah, I don't know, it just it feels natural with the way that it that it plays here.
1: Yeah, it, the, building that sense of discomfort. Like I, am curious. You're, you know, you're, if if you could in, encapsulate the importance of discomfort in filmmaking, because I mean, your films also tend to push toward you know feeling uncomfortable uh in you know making the audience audience feel uncomfortable that's what i get out of there will be blood too. that that discordant opening chord is it it puts me on edge or pushes me back too far in my seat just a little bit what is the utility of of that uh to your eye At, at what point do you walk that line of just saying okay we're gonna lose people (laughs) Yeah, that that is a tough decision, right? So and I mean a
2: lot of things are happening in the editing room. Uh you know, when you shoot it, you normally don't shoot the movie in order. And you get like a different kind of uh uh, feeling being on set, and and uh, that it's always good if the editor has a fresh view on things too. Because he was not on set, he doesn't know the little stories going on or whatever. And so he has more like a neutral uh, point of view, like what the later audience uh, need. But I think it's also, uh, if you don't have to basically, in a way, I was always free to do whatever I wanted. So it's like this kind of what is similar to the Paul Thomas Anderson situation, right? I don't think if you have to, in a way, convince somebody of a cut, and you can actually cut it the way you want it, then I think you have more courage to to do things you yourself would watch and not necessarily the people who go into uh, Thor or Avengers or something. So, yeah, it's, you know, like, and I think he he did in the film definitely uh, the same, that it was not for him to find an arc and a three-act kind of uh, model to tell the story, you know, for like advertising breaks or something. As I do it too, I with, with, especially with the Rampage films, but also uh, with Darfur or Tunnel Reds, I don't tell the stories typical how people would maybe uh, expect, like a Vietnam War film like Tunnel uh, Rats. It's not told like a, a, a commercial film in a way. The biggest uh, mistake you can do is to make something boring. And that means for me also, like, you cannot just repeat what other people do and you tell the same story, but with different actors this time. That's not interesting for me.
0: Well, that's an interesting, um, an interesting point to just, um, bring up in the context of this film because I, I think that in Hollywood, I think that, you know, if, if some storytellers, filmmakers, screenwriters, Approached a studio and said, "This is going to be a great film. We're going to start the movie fifteen minutes. No one talks, and we're following one guy as he's trying to build an oil well." Yes, I would imagine a lot (laughs) of studio. Yeah, i like your money. "Hmm, Let's 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 maybe cut all of that out. And but we have that here, and I'm not bored for a second. And I I find that to be such an interesting perspective because, to a certain extent, when you see a film start this way, it seems to be going exactly against what. Uh, Hollywood actually says they want. You remember the film Breaking the Waves from Lars von Trier? It was
2: also on the oil rig in the beginning, and I think Stellan's Skarsgård or whatever gets then paralyzed in the accident, you know, where he uh, 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 is then for the rest of the film, and then um, the actress, who was the actress, she has to... There was, by the way, another film what we would be on my list of... Uh, I'm not a last from Tria fan, I have to say it, but Breaking the Waves was a masterpiece because it's, uh, it was this kind of, it went from this to completely absurd, but so gripping that you went with it. You know, the fact that she has to prostitute herself and ultimately gets raped and killed so that he can walk again. I mean, it's completely, it, it, it was, but that was the story, right? So, yeah, right, right. And, and it was so unbelievable, but it totally worked in the context. They, they told the story because it looked like the, the what was the Colin Farrell film from this year? The, the, the Basies
0: the, in of Inisherin.
2: It was the same surrounding, right? So you had the same kind of feeling that is where they live and whatever. And, uh, and then and then it has a completely meta, metaphoric turn into there is somebody in heaven who is like the conductor and he makes her die so he can walk and it's insane but it totally worked the way he did it there and in, I, I think that the same in the will Be Blood I was not bored as you said for a second I could yeah. watch it 10 minutes longer you know like <laughs> right, it's, exactly it's like, yeah. <laughs> You know, and it was also spectacular done. We have to say too, like the stunt and everything, how they did that. Like you know, like that looked all uh, extremely good. And the same when the uh, the the oil rig, the the thing explodes, where where the, the sun gets dead. Like when yeah, yeah, right.
0: the, the hearing was also extremely well done, like really filmmaking uh, in imperfection. And, and the cinematography, like I mean, the the shot that stands out for me. Uh, there is uh, I think it's Kieran Hines when he comes up and and he's standing next to Daniel Plainview, who's drenched in oil from head to toe and it's pitch black outside. Yeah. So you only see like little tiny pieces of of Daniel Plainview through the oil from the firelight, whereas Kieran Hines is completely illuminated. And he asks about the sun and <laughs> and Daniel Plainview's response is like, oh, yeah, he's at the, at the uh, mess hall. And and Kieran Hines is the one who runs off to check on the sun, and you just have this man who's like completely sucked into the darkness, standing there like you just can't even see the man anymore. I, I I feel like the way that uh Anderson and his cinematographer, mm-hmm. the way that they put it together, like it just I there are moments like this that stand out as like so defining of kind of the the theme of this person who's like completely devoid of humanity here and is just. A representative of oil it's interesting yeah and I mean what the one of the reasons I picked that film
2: now even if it's sixteen years old right or fifteen years uh is I never saw a film like this since then I didn't had another uh this kind of blown away experience uh since since then where where i where I feel like that are the reasons I wanted to make movies in the first place, uh to tell um like stories that are bigger than life, they're different, they show or the possibility. How awesome, Wells said it, right? We we live in the in the uh the century of film because it has all the arts together. A painter, a, a writer, you're always limited to something. Film is everything. It's it's a book, it's a painting, it's visual you know like it's moving and and i i totally agree with it and that that film was for me like really like a milestone but kept me up you know where i felt like because that was the time where i got the worst rivers of my life doing all the video game films right so and, and in that time i watched that film and i felt wow that is basically what i would love to do you know yeah so uh but who would give me the money for it so and and that is the thing what what uh um, I, I i don't have a film in the last 10 12 years where I would say came even close also in the Oscar nominations, what films were nominated for the Oscars, not even close to uh, the will be blood. Maybe before films like this, uh, they had a similar impact on me where like uh, dances with wolves was also a film where I felt like that is something where I want to make films. And interesting is, I'm I'm sure you watched um, the offer about making of The Godfather, that uh, uh, that eight-part right. series with Miles Teller, right? Miles it, Teller, right. Yeah, and I liked the show because it showed how Hollywood was. You know, this kind of like, they took risks on The Godfather, for example, you know, and there was a time where there were just people with, well, like Bob Evans at that point, with balls, you know, and he... When he pitches Chinatown, for example, right to the Blue Dawn, to the owner of the studio, and they look at him like he's completely out of his fucking mind, like this kind of like, how can we have uh, a film about water with the name Chinatown in LA? You know what? What is it? And he said, "No, it's a yeah. good film. Just forget it. Like let let that Roman Polanski do it." <laughs> and and I think that times are over. Yeah, I I, I submitted things to. To Amazon a few things, and then I got back. You get an algorithm that's a basically you get a computer program where you have to fit your film in, and then it goes through the computer before humans reading it. So they don't want your script. They send you you uh, submit something, and then you get like this kind of fill out form, like you make a driver test or something, <laughs> and if you don't have the right way to put it in. Then the algorithm will just bury you, and like four or five wow. weeks later you get like, "No, it's not what we're looking for, and that is crazy. We're living in a time
1: like this where now wait wait, oh, wait a minute, are you telling me you have to do that to submit a, a project to yes. amazon you, yes. like you're like you're applying for a job yeah you have to I did submit. that
2: twice so what so what's happening with amazon is when you when you when you send it the, you have two options: you get right away no. Right. And then they don't even put it in the system yeah. or they think it could be interesting. Then they send you a link. And on that link, you have to fill out like pages and pages of stuff. So you, you squeeze, you know, you squeeze your, your film into the form. Like who's your character? Why? Whatever. You know, like stuff. Wow. like that. And, and that is so bad because now when I think about it, like think about there will be blood. You would fill out that form. I mean you can directly push delete and that was it. They would never make that film. And but that is a real problem. And I think that that they start using artificial intelligence, judging scripts, and whatever. And and you know, and then you have like you can maybe get plus points when you have actors attached, everybody wants. Then you immediately uh generate traffic, you know, and then the, the computer wakes up when you say, I have Ryan Reynolds, boom. Money, right? So, no matter what you want to shoot. But I think that goes all on the wrong track. And I think the old days were better where you just had a mogul sitting there and making decisions out of his ass. But because. Of
0: the- <laughs> <laughs> You know, look at the Sometimes, it, yeah, the, yeah, sometimes well, it works. Sometimes you I, get down. Exactly. Well, that's interesting because, I mean, Todd Field, who just did Tar, I don't know if you saw that film, but, I mean, that was one where he said, I don't know if I'm going to be making movies anymore because making the movies that I want to be making, they just don't seem interested in me telling those stories anymore. And, uh, like, it took him, you know, 10-plus years to get that made. And I think that's that's part of the big challenge. And that's why I think it's interesting looking at something like this And Paul Thomas Anderson is a director where I I think, especially when you look like what he's done since, which I think is just the master uh, Phantom Thread and Licorice Pizza. I mean, he's not like a very prolific filmmaker, but he kind of continues making stuff that I suppose it's kind of walking a line of doing some like challenging the audience, but still finding a way to at least make enough money so that they keep giving him money. It's just not as often as maybe he'd like, but still, he's, he's still able to kind of crank these things out. I don't know. I I think that there's something really interesting in the way that he chooses to tell stories and especially this story, which I don't know. I I mean, on paper, it's like I want to make a movie about the oil industry. Uh, you know, it's... It, it, <laughs> <laughs> the
1: oil industry in 1889!
0: a <laughs> 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 TV series it already. Yeah, it's yeah. just like, sometimes <laughs> I'm like, I can't believe that this guy got money to make this movie. It's, it boggles my mind, but I'm thrilled.
1: Well, and did you did you say in the list Inherent Vice when you're talking about that oh, was I another forgot thing Inherent that he did there, right? Right? That was one I, I think I liked more than you did. I don't remember, but I uh, that was one that I, I really enjoyed. Like, this is a, a guy who has somehow been able to develop his career before the algorithm took over right it it almost feels like he kind of beat that system and developed a name like is it possible for uh a, a, a paul thomas anderson who hasn't made any films yet to to get movies made like this today like if he were to start in 2023 i think it would be a real challenge no but you see, like whatever but it, it, it it's like this kind of
2: crazy thing that Orson awesome. Wells stayed with Peter Bogdanovich and died poor, and then Peter Bogdanovich died poor uh, himself, right? So, and that is how uh, the world treats like historical important figures for the history of cinema, you know. So, I mean, I I recognize that a lot, like um, of course, like studying film and reading about directors, that nothing is automatic that it keeps that they keep doing things with you. Maybe Clint Eastwood is the last survivor of this kind of just let him do it. Yeah, maybe, you know, so, and I mean, he's now 92. Hopefully we can uh, do that film now about the juror thing. Mm -hmm. Let's doing one more like court drama, whatever he wants to do. I think uh, it would be great if he can finish that film. And, uh, but after him, nobody will have a deal anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I actually think if, if Steven Spielberg says, okay, I want to do ET too, he gets the money. But if Steven Spielberg says, I want to do now this, he's not necessarily getting a green light. Yeah. You know, and he's like maybe the most known director, at least of the last 50 years. So, um, and that is the thing. It's like nothing is automatic now. And I feel also that directors in a way, are exchangeable you know you don't even know all the directors anymore and th- that was one thing when i said i'm coming now i'm coming back i did six years ago rampage three and now i'm coming back and I do first shift uh the, the police crime drama first and then i do hopefully one or two more movies soon and um then a guy from the hollywood reporter he said at least everybody knows you he said, "We don't actually know anybody anymore, so the audience don't know people. If we put names of directors in on like a headline in the Hollywood Reporter, nobody gives a shit because they never heard about that person.
1: If it's not Ridley Scott, uh, uh, you know James Cameron, Steven Spielberg, yeah, like there are there are few names, actually yeah. few names. Yeah. So and, and he said,
2: and and all, everybody knows also what is a good thing. He said at least because uh, uh, whatever." I I did a lot of films I got a lot of press a lot of negative press whatever but on on the other hand uh, people love to follow me what what I'm doing so uh, and he said it's a good thing if some characters coming back into the game who were gone and and uh, I I think it's sad you know it's sad that now only actors are heading articles or whatever and a director is totally, it went into an exchangeable situation. But it has to do maybe also with the subject matters and with the fact that uh, uh, streamers, of course, are in a totally different world because we had theatrical releases, then we had DVD releases, then we had TV uh, appearances. So it was this kind of like a film had a longer life. Right Now they're giving people $200 million and after one week, The movie is gone forever and nobody gives a shit, you know, and it disappeared. uh, Then you're like moving away from new releases on Netflix or where, you know, whatever stream it is
0: uh, into no man's land. Yeah, you just hope that it ends up in the like the popular top 10 or something so that it kind of has a longer life. And that's interesting because like a movie like this. I don't know if it could find its audience in in a streaming service unless it was something like Netflix that was also doing all of the awards push and everything but otherwise like it, I don't know it's it's an interesting market out there where this again just going back to the point of like this is a challenging film about a challenging character and it's a a story about the oil industry and like um and you know as especially you know it's a story where uh, I don't know, there's a lot of complexities with, like, greed and capitalism and religion, you know, you're certainly pushing but- buttons there, and I-, I think a lot of people, uh, that sort of story isn't necessarily going to be the thing that they gravitate to on the streaming services. No, that's
2: 100% not, but I think There Will Be Blood is a film about America.
0: Yeah, right.
2: You know, about what really happened in America, you know, people came from all over, most of Europe, and then who was first was first. And people were left, like, whatever, the natives got killed, you know. Then they they divided the country uh, and uh, pushed the surviving natives away. Um, they built the railroad. Then they recognized we need slaves. We don't have enough, like, people we can abuse here anymore. So they imported slaves. <laughs> you know, yeah. And then, I mean...
1: That is the rough story, basically. What- yeah, America is built on a bed of blood and violence. Yes, it's and in the yes, title. Division. <laughs> there will in be the blood. title, but this is really interesting. Like, the the grammar of the title also is, I find, provocative. The fact that we get to the end of the movie, and he's sitting, and the last line of the movie is, I'm huh. finished. Yeah. It, it, it's, he's finished, and yet we just get to sit in this space, this sort of liminal space of so much blood left to be shed in the expansion to the West, thanks to the, thanks in large part to oil and exploitation. And so I, I, it's, it's incredibly powerful. We have a, we have a, a thing that we say around our community, thanks a, a large part to our a fantastic community member, Nick Langdon, who, when The Last Duel came out, it said, go see that movie in the theater. You may not love it it may not be a five star film for you but it's a movie for grown ups and more than anything right now we have to go see movies in the theater that are made for grown ups and i think this is one of those movies like you see a movie like this once in a num- every number of years yeah we have to we have to go see these movies if we want these movies because the rest of it is just an algorithmic machine it's just another as you say directors become fungible resources for marvel that's the that's the bottom line
2: yeah. And I think also seeing all the DVDs behind you, uh, I'm the same. I want like how the record comes back to, you know, like on the, on the record player, I still have my record player here. Uh, you know, it's like, I love DVDs because I want the making of, I want the director's commentary and all of that gets lost now. And then yeah. the, the, the After our generation, there is no loving film generation there, more. You know, like you. I see with my own kids, right? They're watching films on their cell phone. And i like, how can you watch this on your cell phone? It's horrible. I mean, you know, we have a, a TV, like watch it in TV, and they're sitting on the couch watching crap. And you think, like, how they could ever really love this kind of fascination, what we all had growing up watching films or going in the in the movie theaters, and when I go with them watching a film that they, they getting bored because it 's too long you know they cannot even to- uh, hold the attention span anymore because everything they watch is ten minutes long you know and that is it 's very shocking to see that that development and I think it 's also this kind i 'm not against starting a film. With an action sequence or whatever, but if it's a must, then it's shit, you know. And that is the thing because they, of course, looking uh, specifically also Netflix and Co. They're looking into if nothing happens in the first two minutes, they're not interested in the product, and that is limits the possibility to develop a story. Yeah, you know, I mean, what happened to the slow burn stuff? You know, or the stuff what what then pays off big in the end, and you you need a little. Uh, patience to go through it. That that is all alarming signs because the studios, I think they just go for the $250 million films now where they know we spend so much money, people will come to the movies. But as as you said, it's like what would happen to a film now with There Will Be Blood if it would come now in the movie theaters, there would be a big chance that it doesn't make $2 million box office you know that it's just nice and nobody watches it and that is very sad to 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 recognize it
1: how to do it award season andy
0: Oh, this movie was very popular in the awards circuits. It was—I mean—good year, two thousand seven. A lot of strong films, and this one still was one of them that stood up tall. One hundred eighteen wins with one hundred thirty-seven other nominations. It made many of the critics' top ten lists of the year, and it, and a number of the top uh, ten lists of the decade as well. Um, At the Oscars, it had eight nominations. It won two of them. Daniel Day-Lewis won Best Actor, and it won Best Cinematography for Ron Elswit. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, but lost all of those to No Country for Old Men. Nominated for Best Art Direction, but lost to Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. And nominated for Best Film Editing and Sound Editing, but lost to The Bourne Ultimatum.
1: I don't know. That is an extraordinary lineup. I am gobsmacked that there were that many movies that I like
0: in that list it was i mean 2007 it was huge. a lot of people say that was really kind of the last you know you have these years like 1999 so many good films yeah. we've talked about 1976 a lot of great films that year 2007 had so many good films i mean it was a uh, quite a quite a tough run and and i think we've talked about almost all of them all of them
1: especially as you transition to the Baftas,
0: there are even more the ones that i just did yeah well Yeah. In the BAFTAs, I think the only one we haven't talked about was Atonement. Um, At the BAFTAs, this had nine nominations. It lost Best Film to Atonement. Uh, Paul Dana was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, but lost to Javier Bardem in No Country for Old Men. It lost Best Adapted Screenplay to The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. That was something we certainly talked about on this show. Uh, best best cinematography lost to No Country for Old Men. Best production design lost to Atonement. Best sound lost to The Bourne Ultimatum. Daniel Day Lewis did win uh, leading actor, and then best director they lost to No Country for Old Men, and it was nominated for the Anthony Asquith Award for film music, but lost to La Vie en Rose. Yeah, we didn't like that one that much. It we liked the performance. But she was great. We Very liked her performance yep. a lot. That's exactly right. Well, okay.
1: So, uh, speaking of money, how did it do at the box office?
0: Well, Anderson's film cost $25 million to make, which is $36.75 million in today's dollars. The movie debuted at Fantastic Fest in 2007 before a release for awards consideration on December 26, 2007 opposite... <gasps> National Treasure Book of Secrets, Charlie Wilson's War, Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street, Aliens vs. Predator, Requiem, P.S. I Love You, Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story, The Water Horse, and The Great Debaters, not to mention the limited releases of The Bucket List and Persepolis. Wow. Whew. Yeah, it is a busy Christmas release schedule, end of the year awards sort of thing. This movie slowly expanded its number of screens until February 1st, when they pushed it over 1,000 screens, finally, likely from Oscar announcements. That is also about when it started cracking the top 10 at the box office as well, though not for very long. This movie went on to make just over $40 million domestically and almost $38 million internationally for a total gross of $113.5 million in today's dollars. That is a great turn for Anderson's Dark Tale, landing it with an adjusted profit per finished minute of almost $486,000.
1: Can we tra- can we transition a bit to uh, to the, the first shift? I, I'm I'm so curious about how you uh, how you made this transition. I, I was reading up on some of your interviews from some now years ago, uh, you know, and it, it, reading it like it was today, you saying, yeah, I'm retiring. And you were talking a lot about the economics of the business and the fact that there was no. Uh, th- that the bottom had fallen out of, of video rentals and that that was such a direct impact and you decided to use the word retire and here we're we're back. I'm curious how the world's changed for you.
2: No, I think that the time 2016, when I said it's over, it was really the death of Blockbuster. And uh, for me, it was like, that was one of the biggest revenue streams of my films. They always did... Uh, mediocre, some bad, some mediocre uh, on, on the box office, but they did very good on DVD sales. And and uh, with this, I didn't saw a replacement at that point. Now, with all that streamers around and more possibilities to basically, basically do various deals with various streamers, it is a better chance to maybe get the money back if you produce something or, um, or they pay it even. And um that was the reason I wanted to come back, but mostly I'm just missed filmmaking and I missed making films. Um so I did a small film in Germany, Hanau, about a terror attack here in, in by Frankfurt. And then I felt no, I wanna tell bigger stories again and other stories, so I wrote basically this first shift film. That was it. Came, it didn't come from nowhere because we had, like, I had a film 12 hours I wanted to do in South Africa, but I couldn't get a big enough star. So I really tried and the, I did. The,
1: Just because nobody wanted to come to South Africa with you?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I, that is the thing, I still don't know. We got very good readers' reports about the script and some agents really liked it, but whatever the actors in the end didn't, didn't want to do it. Hmm. And now a lot of actors, of course, getting a lot of offers because of all the streaming films. So it's not like they, they need that film or something. They, they, there are maybe hundred actors with real names, uh, you know, and they're always, uh, when the agent approaches Netflix, they would love to have him in a, in a TV series, whatever. So it's not them to get a job so i couldn't get it so and then i felt okay i love new york i i loved south wall street shooting uh, partly there and so on and um i felt if i shoot in new york it will be definitely easier to get actors because you can just get them and pick them up in the morning and yeah <laughs> right on, <laughs> on the, the corner <laughs> easier easier uh, casting process and i wanted to do more like an ensemble uh, film and I had three scenes written for years. I, a lot of times I've write a scene, but I don't know in what I want to put it. Like it's like this kind of like there's no back, no story to it, but it's that I know that one scene or that one thing will totally work. And I felt if I tell the story of two cops working the first time together, going through one 12-hour shift, I can have that, that three little side plots, in mm-hmm. this and they're getting confronted with the with the police. And uh one is for example, I mean I give one away, is like a killer, like a mafia kind of a killer situation where they offer a guy, they kill his kid and let him live. Mm. And he trades that off and let his kid get killed, but they kill him also. So but it's a very <laughs> overball oh, oh, a you know, over ball scene what I did in Rampage yeah. and like the very cynical Brutal uh, uh, scene, yeah. And uh, um, I got uh, Daniel Soli. He was uh, he was the the, uh, the bad guy in *The Juice* with James Franco. He was the, okay. the brutal mafia killer, right? So I asked him to do it, and he he did it, you know. And then I had like Gary <laughs> He was in ten the Scorsese films. Always when you see mobsters, he's always yeah.
0: Yeah, he's the guy. So we, yeah. he's he's there. There.
2: we got a very good cast doing that scene because. They loved it, right? So, and so, and th- that is one of that, that, uh, uh, scenes. And so I think I have a good, in a way, a good film, right? So Ethan Manichis is editing it. He did, uh, From Dust to Down. He, he directed Mashidi And, and so, fantastic pedigree. Because yeah. Last, last November, I was in LA and the guy came. And he said, oh, I love Post, blah, blah, blah. And I, I was at the American Film Market, and I, I didn't know who it was. And I said, so what are you doing? He said, I'm an editor. And he said, he's a manicist, and uh, I did, I did, it didn't ring the bell. And then he said, no, no, I did with Robert Rodriguez. We, we did the Sin City and everything. So uh, I would love to do a film uh, with you. So, I, And then I called him. and I said, I do a first shift. You want to edit it? And he's doing it right now uh, in L.A.,
1: so no, as of right now, you haven't seen the rough cut of first no, shift. No, that no. Is in it it takes another three weeks, um, and then we
2: will we will see what we have. But he said so far everything looks good. What is good for me to, as a f- uh, feedback? Because um, when you do kind of a road movie, what it was, it's you don't really know is it all fitting together. And then I told him also, look, yeah, have, we have various options. You can have this kind of side stories as one block. And then, you know, like, the cops are after and before. Or you cut it all parallel, like, happening at the same time, uh, like a little puzzle. And I gave him this option. I said, look, try both. Let's see what works the best. Present me what works best. Then we discuss it. Uh, but, I, but I have the feeling, based on all the cast I got, like, all the little parts were very good actors. James Megaman from Orange is a New Black. Uh, Gino Pizzi is very good. The, uh, Kristen Renton from Sons of Anarchy and so on. So, um, th- that is a good cast. You know, it's not like a superstar cast, but everybody is known. Like you, you have actors you saw 50 times already. So, and, uh, I think that is a good film for me to come back. And it's all different, you know, not Canada this time, no, uh, like a full American film, basically. And I think it's, uh, hopefully it helps me for the next projects then too. Do you, do you have distribution for it? No, I just did it now. And I felt like uh, I want to finish it and present it. And then let's see uh, who uh, wants it the most. But I, I, I want a little theatrical release. You know, I want to go on fashion. Sure. I want to be in a few movie theaters. I just don't want to be, boom, it's on the streamer. And it disappears to no man's land after a week. So I want that. That it looks like we shot CinemaScope. So I want that it's
1: on screen.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Deservedly so. Well, let us know when it when it does get uh, some distribution, so we can uh, make sure that we we uh, let all of our people yeah. know. Yeah,
2: I mean, it, it will be out. It will come out no matter what, and and uh, you know, but yeah, but let let's see. And uh, I felt like um, it's also a story. What is not? It has also like hope in it. It's not all negative, right? Or or brutal or whatever. So it it, it goes like this. And it's not so cynical as a, as a rampage uh, is, for example. Sure.
0: Yeah. Right, right, right. Well, you've got that coming for people to check out. Uh, plug your podcast again. What's the name of it, so people can check it out? Uva Bowl Raw. Uva Bowl Raw. Yeah, yeah. Find it on on all your podcatchers, So check that out. You can get all all of Uva's uh, opinions on everything going on with the the potential writer strike that we have to anything else going on in the industry. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. Gary Otto will tell you about his new car I just got to that episode I, Absolutely I, I listen to this Gary. all day long <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> You guys are awesome He's from
2: New York but he's in Florida I know him forever yeah. And uh no, the uh, another thing what what we what we do not not me but in LA so they do new four K versions of Postal and some other films and will yeah. do a new Blu Ray and DVD release. Great. What uh, I'm very happy about, uh, I got contacted by uh, Louis Justin is his name. They have a lab and everything, and so because I want the the highest maximum quality, so we had to sure. go back to the thirty five millimeter originals. And um, looking forward to, and I do new uh, commentaries to
1: to the film. So uh, of just of just those two of of rampage. No, and postal. I think
2: postal tunnel rats.
1: That's what what I was interested in. Is are, you, are we going to get a new tunnel rat?
0: Yeah, tunnel rats, uh, and then uh, yeah, but but postal Pete, you get even more of Dave Foley in four K.
1: What <laughs> all the Dave Foley affords?
0: Plenty. 4K, there's a lot yeah, of Dave Foley. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I mean, I would love, like, Lionsgate is, is like, uh, uh, they're not really cooperative with, with anything. And I told them, like, look, if we can get the money, basically, that they invest in it and they just want to release a new DVD in exchange, I told Lionsgate, how can you not do that deal for Alone in the Dark and House of the Dead? Because it's 4K versions of that films, they can relicense it to the streamers and would get maybe way more money for it because it's 4K. And that they
1: didn't even answer me. And I like, but what are you doing? I sense. mean, uh, especially right now, right when they've just rediscovered that. Look, video game movies are uh, are kind yeah. of awesome. Like <laughs> yeah people yeah. would stream these movies for sure. Yes,
2: you know, and and I think the the, the re release like on the Blu Ray in 4K of House of the Dead would sell good right now, like on Blu-ray. It would, the people would
0: still buy it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. get it out there. Yeah. <laughs> Man, <boy>. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it for today's episode of Movies We Like. Thank you so much, Uwe Boll, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. For all of you, we hope you like the show and we certainly hope that you like the movie like we do here on Movies We Like. The Next Reel presents Movies We Like as a part of the True Story FM Entertainment Podcast Network. The music is Clap" by Out of Flux. Find the show at truestory.fm and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at The Next Reel. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, we always appreciate it if you drop one there for us. See you next time. Oh, yeah. I forgot the exclamation point.
1: <laughs> Plus, by using those links to buy your next read, Apple and Amazon show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort.
0: The slash originals. It's a great way to support the show and find your next page turner.
1: That's right. Head over to the slash originals to pick out your next read and dig in today.